Hey, what's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? I'm glad that you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, just glad that you're with us. If you're new, welcome to ACF Church. You picked a great morning to visit church today, and uh, can we welcome everybody who's with us online as well? Thank them for being with us also. And uh, we also want to welcome specifically uh, the Hoffmans. Brent and Liz Hoffman have been watching from Czech Republic. They are our missionaries there in Prague. And so we love you guys. We're thinking about you and praying for you. So um, we are entering into a conversation for the next three weeks uh, about sex. And so I'm going to start us off with this um, little prelude. Uh, this is going to be sort of a PG-13 sermon series. And so I just want to, if you're new and you don't really know what to do with your your kids at church, or maybe you're a parent that typically has your kids in service, I want to encourage you uh, to use our great Illuminate Kids program downstairs and check them in. Um, You can, you know what, it's up to you. You want to deal with the questions on the way home, that is up to you. But I'm just giving you fair warning. This is a swim at your own risk type of Sunday morning um, that uh, I wouldn't, I've already got people walking out, that's great. So... Uh, we have our first impressions people in the back of the room. They would love to help you check your kids in uh, because we're going to have a frank, open conversation uh, about sex. And I'm going to use that word a lot. Uh, in fact, they had a ticker going on how many times I said it in the past couple uh, services. And so anyway, uh, it's going to get kind of real here. Um, it's going to push some of you and, and not just parents, but um, for some of you, this is going to really push your perspective on what uh, should be talked about in the church or or whatnot. Um, and just to start us off, too, uh, we have a number that we're going to put on the screen behind me. And um, any time during the message today, if a question pops up into your mind about about sex, about how God views sex, um, maybe some thoughts that you could you could use some some input on something, text it into that number. Um, we don't have caller ID. We're not going to track you down. Uh, and, and what's going to happen is in the, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to field some of those questions. We'll probably only have time for a few of them, but uh, we'll, we'll just pick the best ones and answer those as best as we can uh, at our services. And so uh, text in at any point. But, uh, but this is a conversation that needs to happen in the church. Uh, some people would say that, uh, that this, this talk doesn't belong in the church. And I would say, uh, the church should be the first place that we talk about sex and sexuality. Um, because we know that it's being talked about elsewhere in other places. And, uh, we believe that in the, in, in the, the family of God, we need to be open and have open conversations about this. And so, uh, it's gonna get super honest here. Um, and so, uh, we're calling the series High Voltage. And uh, the reason we're doing that is because it's interesting. Electricity, we don't think a lot about it. Um, I don't know if you've thought much about the fact you flip on a light switch and you have power to everything in your house. Uh, maybe you've spent time at a third world country or, or something like that where you didn't have power. And, and so because of that, you, uh, you realize that power is a really important thing. Um, it's a, it's a real gift. And so, anyway, so, uh, so we've called the series High Voltage because something that's a gift can also become a negative thing. Um, a few years ago, uh, my house almost burned to the crown. Uh, we actually came back from a family walk and my garage was, um, smoke was coming out of the garage. We had the fire department out there. All my neighbors were out of their houses. And so, um, what had happened is my, uh, my refrigerator in the garage, a couple wires had crossed and, uh, we didn't realize it, but it had lit a piece of plastic on the wall on fire which then lit my shoe rack on fire, which then lit the door on fire. And so we almost lost our house. 
So something that could be such a gift is also something that can burn your house down. And uh, sex is sort of like that. It's something that's a gift from God, and yet uh, it can also be something that deeply uh, wounds us and hurts us. And I would say in the church, this is something that we need to talk about because I think it's affecting um, the way we live out the call of God in our city. Uh, I ran across a quote this week that says, uh, the one, one of the greatest things keeping the church from making an impact on their city is our growing addiction to distorted expressions of our sexuality that diminish human flourishing and mission. And so, interestingly enough, as the church, our wounds and our issues in this area are actually negatively impacting the way that we're uh, meant to express the good news of Jesus to our city. And, and I totally get this personally. Um, when you're caught up in shame, when you're caught up in, in these feelings and emotions that you've dealt with for years from, from wounds and baggages, baggage in your past, it, it does not compel you then to, uh, to go share the good news. Um, it actually uh, restricts that and keeps us from living out our call uh, to be on mission. And so we do need to have this conversation. Uh, we need to be honest and open about this. Um, there's sex everywhere we look. Uh, it's used to sell things. Um, you guys remember the uh, the Carl's Jr. commercials um, when those were out? So I remember when the, the first time I saw one of those, and I'm like rushing my children out of the room, and I'm like, seriously, we're, we're selling du- you know double bacon cheeseburgers with a half naked woman on the screen. But um, and I was like, why why are they doing this? And I I ran across um, an article about their advertising. It says a big part of that was the way we advertised the brand. We got the attention of this demographic, young hungry guys, which was our marketing and research is, uh, was what our marketing and research department advised us to do. So they were advised to sell burgers with half naked women because they were trying to reach young hungry men. And, and it worked. Their numbers were up. But as you've seen over the past um, maybe year or so, a couple of years, they've actually changed their marketing. Um, those, those commercials aren't the same anymore um, because they, they had kind of nowhere to go from there, right? Uh, they were turning up the, the knob on sexuality trying to sell burgers, but at some point it just kind of lost its impact on people, which is how this all works, doesn't it? I mean, haven't you seen that it's kind of like the knob is being turned up on sexuality in our culture, and we almost don't notice it. It's kind of like the old frog in the water um, idea that, you know, you can kind of turn the water up a little bit, and before he knows it, he's boiling in the water. And that's kind of how we are with, I think, sex in our culture, that over time, we don't even realize it, but it's just growing and becoming, you know, something that we use everywhere. We don't even realize how desensitized we've become. And so I just want to throw out a few statistics just to make this real for you. If you're here today and you're like, why are we talking about this? Uh, we should be talking about something else. Um, just a few things that, um, that I think we need to be honest about. The first is the average person has their first sexual experience at age 16. So parents, good to know. Uh, if you thought maybe you'd have the talk at 16, you're too late, just so you know. It needs to start way younger than that. Um, 40% of internet users are viewing pornography, Uh, 20% of men access porn at work, 13% of women access porn at work, and 33% of porn viewing is from women specifically. And so, again, porn is not just a male uh, issue, it's also a female issue. Uh, The largest porn consumers today are boys from the ages of 12 to 17. So maybe you're like a 12-year-old. Where are they getting it? You know, it might be the iPhone that you gave them. It might be uh, your computer that you leave out, you know, all night long. It might be uh, something that they found from some of their friends or at the friend's house. It's, it's finding its way in is what I'm telling you. And so we need to be aware of that 
Uh, virtual pornography is the newest thing. It's on the rise. There's this, this kind of desire to experience this synthetic version of what God has given us in the most real possible way with avoiding the uh, commitment of like an actual long-term relationship where you got to like fight and deal with a human being, right? And, and so uh, there's this, this uh, we want all of the benefits of, of sex in a relationship without all of that, you know, that relationship stuff. And so uh, virtual porn is on the rise. This was really interesting that studies are showing that the increase in mental illness that we're seeing um, in, in our nation, in our world, is actually being tied back to sexual brokenness. That we're actually experiencing more sexual brokenness that's actually changing the way that our minds work and it's hurting our society. Um, here's an interesting thing. Part of this, this kind of sexual revolution and this feeling that, you know, we just need to express it however we want to, um, has resulted in an in- increase in uh, abortions over the past 10 years. Um, I found uh, some statistics on the CDC's website. It said, uh, in one year, in one year, listen, there were 664,435 abortions in the U.S. 664,000. 435 abortions. Now, I was, I mean, that's a staggering number, but here's how the math works. That means that over the course of two years, more babies are being aborted in the U.S. than soldiers killed in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, and Vietnam combined. So this is every couple years. Every couple years. And so I know some of you have some deep wounds with that. Maybe you've had an abortion, and so you've got some scars from that, or somebody in your family has, and so I know there's deep wounds with this. Uh, 40% of high school students today have had sexual intercourse. That's just a recent study that was done. And so we're just seeing that this is everywhere. And, and, and this, this journey to express ourselves more or experience more freedom sexually has not resulted in more freedom. Do you get that? Like the feeling that I'm just going to do what I want and it's my body and I can do whatever I want with my body. And as long as it's two consenting adults, who really cares? This has not contributed to a betterment of our society and greater human flourishing. Do do we see that? Can we agree on that? I think even if you're not a Christian here today, you got to see like, okay, so this isn't necessarily making us more healthy. In fact, we're getting more sick as the years go on. Here's the thing I want to start off with, though, because, again, some of your minds are being blown that I've said sex this many times already, because this is not how your church was growing up. Maybe maybe your youth pastor, you know, did a series about sex at some point. Maybe you learned about it at school, but very few people heard it talked about at church. And so kind of uh, the story that you might have heard is that sex is bad, but then it's good, Right? Let's protect our kids and protect each other by just making sex into a terrible thing. And so there's a lot of people that, especially in very Christian religious circles, that believe that sex is specifically simply for procreation. You know? It's like, it's just to make babies, but nothing else. None of that, like, enjoying it stuff. Like, just make children and move on. But but here's what we want to say today. It's that God created sex, and it was good. So we're going to start with that. We're just going to start with the fact that God created sex and it was good. And we're going to get to boundaries. And if you're, if you're a parent and you're like, come on, Brian, talk about the marriage thing. Yes, God created sex to be between a man and a woman in a lifelong marital relationship. We believe that with all of our heart. And we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We see God speaking to Adam and Eve. And he says, and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the earth the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God says, 
Be fruitful and multiply. How do you multiply? Come on, just say it in church. How do you multiply? There you go. Just get it out of your system. Just deal with it. I know it's uncomfortable. Get the giggles out. We're just going to talk about it. You multiply with sex. That's how it works. And so God made it. So that's the first thing we just want to acknowledge is that, that God created it. Like God made a lot of good stuff, right? Mountains and, you know, this beautiful place that we live in, all the animals we see and sex, right? This is the God. It's, it's, I almost think that we're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's something that like Adam and Eve came up with. Like God was in the other end of the garden. He's walking around and he like comes back and he sees Adam and Eve and he's like, I leave you alone for five minutes and look what you're doing, you know? Sex was not Satan's idea. It was God's idea. It was a gift to humanity, a beautiful thing. And we're going to talk about the the, what it actually means and and why God gave it to us. But just start off with this and and acknowledge that it's a it's a gift. It's not something to be afraid of talking about. It probably needs to be talked about more. You probably need to have more conversations with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends about it in a positive way. Just asking these questions: How can this be a beautiful thing for us? How can how can sex actually contribute to the betterment of society instead of the, the dissolving of society and of marriages and all of these things that we're seeing around us? So sex was God, God's idea. Um, it's not bad until it's good. It's actually just a good thing that God created. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about it. Uh, this week we're calling positive. Next week, uh, Pastor Josh is going to be uh, talking about some of the negative things that have happened through sexuality and sex in our culture. And then last week we're calling grounded. And we're just going to take a good look at um, how to be grounded in this area um, specifically. So just to kind of be uh, uh, honest about this and to, to develop more openness about this, we're just going to go to a, a book in the Bible that's pretty much all about sex. Did you know that existed? Uh, there's a book. It's called The Song of Solomon. If you've never read it, it's a great book. Um, it's in our Bible. It's in your Bible. And uh, you might not have known that it was even there, but it's mostly uh, about this man Solomon and his new bride on their wedding night. And what a gift that book is. Uh, and it's interesting, because it's such like a, a spicy, hot book um, for Jewish kids in the Jewish culture, many times they couldn't actually uh, read this book until they were uh, of age. They wouldn't be able to read it until they were much older in life. And, and so uh, just imagine, I'm like, little Jewish boys hiding Song of Solomon underneath their bed, right? <laughs> Like you had the Sears catalog or something when you were a kid. You know, for them it was like, you know, they get out their, their candles and it's them and their buddies, you know, on a sleepover reading Song of Solomon, you know. And, and so I think what we do in the church is we really neutralize scripture. This just makes us uncomfortable. Um, it makes us uncomfortable t- to talk about it and to be honest about it. So I'm just going to read a little bit from Song of Solomon chapter 4 um, just to kind of open us up to this whole conversation. And, and, and I'll be honest with you to start off. You're going to lose some things in translation here, just to, just to be honest. Some things aren't going to quite make sense, but um, just to make this make sense to us and, and to get a little more honest about it, can I get some, some music, some background music, just for the reading of this? <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. 
Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Built in rows of stones, on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Amen. Amen. Clap for the word of God today. Amen. That's good. Ah, I love the Bible. Don't you love the Bible? It's good. You should read it more often. Okay, who's uncomfortable? Just raise your hand. A few of you. <laughs> Liars. I see. see your faces are red. Thank you. Thank you. Discomfort. Somebody in first service was like, Brian, I finally got my mom to come to church with me. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I'm like, that's good. Your mom needs to hear this too, which just grossed him out even more. So um, this is, what, a, what an interesting passage is Solomon. He, he's just, he's encouraging his new bride. And what you read in the Song of Solomon, what you figure out is that she's kind of insecure about her body. And so he starts off by just saying, you are beautiful, my love, Right? I mean, it's, so, I mean, men, sex starts way before the bedroom, right? And so he's just, he's building her up. He's encouraging her. He's telling her she's beautiful. He talks about her hair. He likes long hair. She has long, beautiful hair. Then he goes to her mouth, says her mouth is beautiful. <laughs> I love the teeth part, right? She's got all her teeth. Now, for you guys, maybe you're like, I don't know, you know, what I think is beautiful about my wife. Just appreciate the fact that maybe she's got all her teeth, you know? And we don't, we don't appreciate that, but he's very excited that she has all of her teeth. She's got rosy cheeks. She's got rosy cheeks. Talks about that. He, where, where, and then he talks about her neck, right? Her neck's like a Tower of David. Guys, not a great line. But for him, apparently, <laughs> apparently it worked. And then where's, where are his eyes moving? South, right? So anyway, we're just going to stop there because I know how uncomfortable you are. But listen, this is a beautiful piece of scripture talking about a man and a woman enjoying a gift from God on their wedding night, the way that it was intended to be enjoyed. And so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to open up a Bible, uh, you can go there with me. And uh, this is a passage Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And it's, you know, I was looking for verses that encouraged us to enjoy sex, and I had actually a hard time finding those verses. What I find is a lot more verses about prohibition with sex because it turns out that humanity kind of knows how to enjoy sex. Like, you know, whether you are a worshiper of God or you're not, God has still given you the gift of this being an enjoyable thing. And so people kind of know how to enjoy it. What they may not know how to do is to enjoy it in a way that contributes to more peace and more joy and more security and more worship in their lives. That's something that people may not know how to do. And so Paul wants to kind of redirect the the focus of this culture. So what you need to know is in Corinth, this was a sexualized culture. I mean, this city was built around sex. And and just imagine this, where people saw sex as simply a a physical act between two people. There was nothing spiritual about it. It was just simply a, a natural way of expressing your body. So that was the church, that was the, the society that he's speaking to with these Christians that are then living in this society. And he wants them to know how to, how to actually be light in a dark city. Because he knows that, that for the church to thrive, they're going to have to be different than the community. He knows that for the church to thrive, they're going to have to see sex differently. And, and, and we know this, that as we look back at the early church, what, what resulted in the growth of the church 
was that instead of Rome changing the church, the church changed Rome. And so I would say the same for Eagle River, the same for Alaska. Instead of Alaska changing the church, Eagle River should be, or ACF should be changing Eagle River and changing Alaska and changing our state and our world. Like we as the people of God show people a new and better way to be human, a new and better way to live, a new and better way to honor God with our lives and to contribute to health and relationships. And so we should be the ones driving the culture as the church. So we're going to have to be pretty convicted about this stuff to be doing that. So in this passage, Paul's going to talk to them about sexual immorality and, and just to kind of shift their thinking a little bit. So this is chapter 6, verse 12. He says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So you have a pen, you have some notes, write this down. A positive sex is productive sex. Productive sex. Now when you think of productive, maybe you're thinking making babies. But that's not what I'm thinking about. In this passage, Paul is saying all things are lawful. In other words, you're here today, I'm not telling you you can't do any of this. I mean, you can go out and you can express yourself sexually however you choose to. And there might not even be a law against the way you choose to express your sexuality. But what Paul says is that it may be lawful, but it may not be beneficial. It may not actually help contribute to human flourishing, to your joy and other people's joy, to health in your relationships. So positive sex is productive sex in the sense that it's going to produce helpful good things in your life. Again, more peace, more joy, more safety, more security. It's intended to do that. Instead, for many people, it doesn't contribute to that. It actually contributes to more stress. And, and it ends up breaking up a relationship. Or it's something that is, is creating tension in your marriage because of the way that you both view this or because of the scars that you have from your past. And so for a lot of people, it's not productive. It's painful. It's just painful. It's not a good thing in their lives. So Paul is like, hey, all things may be lawful, but not all things are beneficial. He makes this statement, and I will not be dominated by anything. Do you realize you weren't meant to be dominated by anything? That, that, that you weren't meant to be dominated by sexual urges and sexual desires, but how many people are? How many people cannot stop thinking about this? And, and it literally, it's what drives their lives, either to get more or because of what they've gone through. It's something that dominates their thinking. So a great question in terms of this, because we're not meant to be dominated by other things, a great question to ask is, will this decision make me more or less free? Will, will my decisions make me more or less free? Again, through the sexual revolution back in the 70s to, to today as people have expressed themselves more and more and felt like that is freedom, it has not contributed to more freedom in people's lives. So that's just a great all-around question with anything that you do. Will this make me or the person I'm experiencing this with more or less free? Paul's like, you were meant to be free. And so he's saying, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Uh, studies are showing that uh, sexual addiction is actually more difficult to break than drug addiction, which is interesting. I mean, addiction to pornography, it's, it's actually releasing chemicals in your brain, some of the same chemicals that contributed to drug addiction. Again, Paul is like, I don't want to be dominated by anything. So I know that I'm going to have to actually curb these desires so that instead of influ them influencing me, I'm influencing them. 
And he goes into this kind of strange rant about food and the stomach. Um, food's meant for the stomach, and then he's stomach for food, and God's going to destroy both one and the other. What he's speaking about is there's a day that will be coming where, where you will no longer exist on this earth, in this body, the way that you do right now. He's speaking of the coming kingdom of God, that one day all of this is going to change. And so many people are living for these urges and these impulses right now, but you need to understand that God gave us things to enjoy on this earth for a purpose, ultimately to give him glory. And that's why he gave those things to us, because one day that's all we'll be doing, is honoring him and glorifying him, those, those who know him and love him. And so he, he's trying to help people get their eyes off of what's happening right now, because for a lot of people, sex is really the driving force. It's what they think about, or it's what is, 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 is really ruining their life in many ways. He goes on. In verse 14, he says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Once again, there is a life that's coming. Are you living for what's now or for what's to come? He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. One flesh. So, second thing to write down is that positive sex is pure sex. Pure sex. Paul is saying that, that, that there is this, once again, there's this day to come and that our, our bodies are actually part of Christ. Your bodies are not your own as, as those who are in the family of God. That, that we are actually part of one body together. And then he makes this interesting statement about being joined to a prostitute. The first thing that the people in Corinth would have said is like, Paul, like, there's no joining going on. It's just sex. And there's no joining. What, what do you mean by joined to a, a prostitute? That's not what we're doing. We're just, we're, we're just having sex, right? And he uses the word prostitute, and the prostitute, prostitute is actually a, a Greek word, porneia, which is where we get the word pornography. And so when he talks about prostitution, somebody in this room is probably thinking, well, Brian, I have not... Uh, gone downtown and hired a prostitute lately. Like it's just, or maybe it's just something that's never happened. And so this is not for me. You know, this isn't about me. I'll just check myself off the list. But when he speaks about prostitution in this chapter, he's speaking about anything that is a sexual act outside of the marriage covenant. That's what he's speaking about. So anything that's, that is that is, is considered prostitution. Now you're like, well, it's not prostitution. I'm just experiencing this sexual activity with somebody to please me until I'm done with the relationship. Kind of sounds like, you know, I mean, it's, that's like we're receiving something, may not be money, it may be just gratification to enjoy it until I'm done with the relationship, then we'll move on. And so once again, he's, he's, he's being very open and honest about this is not how God intended us to express ourselves sexually. Who's uncomfortable? You guys doing all right? That's good. It's good. You guys are really quiet. It's good. He says, then the two will become one flesh. He's, he, again, he's, he's fighting against this idea that sex is just, it's just bodies with bodies. It's just, you know, a, a physical act. And he's saying, no, two become one flesh. And this word flesh in this, this moment, he's not just talking about physical. He's not just talking about two bodies coming together. He's literally talking about two persons becoming one person. It's a deeply spiritual thing. That's how God created sex, is that it would be deeply personal, deeply spiritual. And that's what happens when two people become one. It's so much more, I think. We've maybe devalued it. Paul wants to raise the value 
of what sex actually does. So think about it this way. Think about what uh, a wedding is. You guys have been to weddings, right? Been a few weddings in your day. So for us, when we think the wedding, when we think of two people becoming one person, we think of the marriage is complete, we think of the moment that they say, I do, right? It's like, so at the end of the ceremony, they say, I do. Okay, now they're married. But for the Jewish people, the, the seal of the marriage covenant wasn't when you said, I do. It was when you had sex. So they would literally have a, a ceremony and then before the reception, the couple would go away and seal the marriage. They would go and have sex, talk about pressure, right? While everybody else is like, hey, I want to eat some shrimp. Get back here. Like, we're waiting on you guys. Come on, time's ticking away. But they would go and they would, they would seal the marriage with, with sex. This was the symbol of two people becoming one, this spiritual union, even more than a symbol. It was actually this, this deeply spiritual connection that two people would make and they'd come back and continue on celebrating. So we've lost something in our society in marriage. We've devalued sex and I think elevated the ceremony. I think they should be the other way around. We should raise the value of sex in our culture because that's what it was intended to be. Two people becoming one person. If I were to boil Paul's words down to one sentence, I would simply say that we were designed to be made one with only one. That's how God created us. Now we're going to get to, I get it, you've made decisions. I get it. We've, we've all been in places that we shouldn't have been and done things we shouldn't have done. But we have to start off with the foundation of understanding that God made this to be two people joined together for the rest of their lives. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay, so, so Paul, like, we're talking about sex, we're talking about being joined with another person, and then Paul goes to this correlation with our being joined with God. And he's, he's drawing this connection. There's this symbol of, of two people becoming one that happens when we have sex. It's also the same way that we become one with God. Now, for some of you, that's like really awkward and un- uncomfortable. And you're like, I-, I don't think it's the same, but it is the same. Like he, he's saying the intimacy you feel. Think about what sex is. Two people fully exposed, right? All, everything bared, everything out in the open, becoming one person being fully accepted by another human being in every physical way possible is the same way that God accepts us, fully exposed with everything shown, right? All that we are, everywhere we've been, everywhere we will go, everything we've done, and he loves us just the same. That there's, the, there's this, this correlation between the two. Like that's the, the beauty of how, how sex between a man and a woman in, a, in, in this marriage covenant is supposed to work. And then there's you know, this relationship with God. It's the same kind of acceptance. And think of it, the same kind of commitment. Like, like it's supposed to communicate, I'm not going anywhere, right? That's, what, that's the beauty of it. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I am committed to you. There's nothing I can do to be more connected to you. Just the same way God's like, I'm not going anywhere. There's nothing I could do to be more connected with you. And so Paul's trying to help them see the intimacy of our relationship with God in a similar light. She says, hey, you become one with God just the same way as you become one with another person. So this is a very, um, it's a sacred, it's a sacred act. So he goes, because of that, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Like run from it. Don't just kind of like cohabitate with sexual immorality. Run from it. Don't let it hang out in your life. Don't hide it in the corner. Run from it. And then he says this, he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. 
But sexual, the sexually immoral, immoral person, I can't read this morning, the sexually immoral person commits sins against his own body. So this is an interesting statement. Now, he says every other sin is outside the body, but this sexual sin is against his own body. He's referring, once again, not to simply your physical body, but to your spirit, to your person. Because think about it. You can commit sins against your body. You can do something to hurt yourself, to wound yourself, and that's not good. That's not taking care of your body. Paul's not talking about your flesh, like your your skin. He's talking about you as a person. Every other sin... although as hurtful as it may be, lying to somebody that you love or, you know, deceiving somebody or gossiping about somebody or whatever that you might have said that you want to take back or done that you might not have wanted to do. Anything else? It's going to be a sin outside of your body, but he says sexual decisions are made against your body and against the body of someone else, the the person, the spirit, the soul of that person. And here's, here's kind of my proof. So when I was uh, 13 years old, I got hit by a car, just like flattened. I was living in upstate New York and I was riding my bike out on a road and a guy um, came over a hill and he hit me and um, went in the ditch, broke my leg in three places. Um, I mean, everybody's freaked out. They thought they were going to, you know, lose me. Instead, I, I was fine. My leg was okay. I was kind of skinned up, but you know, I had to I had to get these bones set and I had to spend, I think, seven weeks in a cast and I got better and I'm fine. But I look back on that memory and I'm like, you know, that was, that was hard. And I kind of dealt with that. But, you know, now it's just kind of an old memory. And here's what I don't do. I, I'm not going to counseling about breaking my leg as a kid. Um, I don't remember it in my dreams and like wake up thinking about it. Um, it's not something that, you know, I have great unforgiveness for anybody uh, for. It's not something that has wounded me at a deep soul level. It was just like it was broken bones. And so I think even if you don't believe in this stuff and you're like, well, I think God's just trying to keep me from my fun, what you need to acknowledge is that sexual brokenness wounds us at a deeper level than any other kind of wound. Am I right? Like when you can be wounded, somebody can hurt you, somebody can get in a fight and get wounded, but when you are wounded sexually in any way, it, it goes with us because God created sex to be this binding gift. And when it's torn apart or when it's distorted, and used to wound another person, it hurts us in a deep, deep, deep way. Verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Literally, God dwells in his people. That's cool, right? So God's living inside of you. There's nowhere you can go where you're away from him. In no situation, there's not like a time of night where God like disappears, he goes to bed, and you're alone. Like you're always with God. The people of God has have God living literally inside of you. He says that the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, he says this, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So people of God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Christ paid a great deal for you. He he took our sins upon himself. He bled for us. So, So understand this, that you are not your own. Just like as a married person, if you're married here today, you're not your own. As you've been bound to God, you're also bound to another human being. You are not your own. You are one person with God. You're also one person with another person. This is why affairs are so damaging, right? So once again, you are not your own. 
So don't be chatting with that, you know, old girlfriend from high school on Facebook at midnight, right? I mean, there's just some things that you understand. When you're not your own person, there's some rules that you put into your life and some ways that you protect yourself and others so that you don't cause damage in the relationship. He's saying the same thing is true with God. He's saying these decisions can hurt your relationship with others and with God. So then he says this. He says, you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Like your body was made as an instrument for the glory of God. How cool is that? So last thing to write down. Positive sex is praise-inducing sex. I love it. Awkward, right? It's just getting weird. Praise-inducing. What does that even mean, Brian? Praise-inducing sex. So once again, you were made as an instrument to the glory of God. Do you know that? Like he created you for his glory. And you will never be more of who you are intended to be than when you are worshiping God with your body, with your soul, with your mind, with your spirit, with everything that you are. You are created to be an instrument of the glory of God. And so that's everything. You're like, well, I hike to the glory of God. That's cool. You know, I bike to the glory of God. Yeah, I sing to the glory of God. Guess what? You can have sex to the glory of God. And that's, that's how it was created to be. And the, the reason this is awkward, I think, a little bit is because we're like, that just, there's a, there's a disconnect there somehow, right? There's a disconnect. And so here's a, here's a great question to ask yourself, a great thing to think about with anything in your life. I, I think that if you can't worship while you're doing anything, you probably shouldn't be doing it. If you can't worship while you're doing anything, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It's kind of like, there's things in this room, it's funny, people get weird about church buildings. Like there are things that people wouldn't say in church. Are things that people wouldn't do in church. Or I've heard people leave this room and be like, I'm going to hell, right? Because I said that in church. But this is just sticks and mortar. This is just a building. He's saying your body is the temple of God. God literally lives inside of you. So every, everything you do, everywhere you go, he goes with you. And so it's a great way to kind of gauge, am I, can I worship while I'm doing this? Right? I mean, if you're on the internet and it's midnight and your family's asleep, can you worship right then? with what you're doing? If you're out hanging out with another person who is not your spouse and you know that you're kind of developing this emotional connection, can you worship God while you're doing it? I think these are great questions to ask. If you can't worship while you're doing anything, then you probably shouldn't be doing it because you are an instrument of the glory of God. You're created for his honor and that's where you are most at home. That's where there's the most peace and joy and safety in your life. It's right there, worshiping him. Ephesians, Paul talks about this mystery of, of, of the relationship between a man and a woman. He, he actually correlates a marriage with the way that God is married to his people in this, this never-ending covenant, this connection with each other where this, it's commitment no matter what, which is what marriage was intended to be and sex is the seal of that. So here's what you need to know today is that God made sex and it's good. That God doesn't want to destroy sex. He wants to restore it. He doesn't want it to go away. He actually wants to see it expressed in ways that glorify and honor him. And here's what you need to know too today. If you're here and you're like, Brian, I got some stories, man. You need to know that God does not want to destroy you. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. And I love as we read scripture, we see how Jesus deals with the sexually broken. Uh, you know, the, the, the moment where he encounters this woman who was caught in adultery. Remember that story? 
So there's this woman and she commits adultery and literally in the act, in the act, she gets caught. And the the religious people drag her out into the street. She's still naked and drag her out to Jesus. They're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Surely Jesus will condemn this woman. And and they they throw her at his feet. Imagine just she's weeping. She's naked. She's embarrassed. She's ashamed. And they say, Jesus, you know the law. The law says that this woman should be stoned, put to death. What will you do with this woman? And Jesus' response is just so brilliant. He says, you who is without sin should cast the first stone. I can just imagine silence in the crowd. Discomfort as people acknowledge their own sinfulness. And as the crowd starts to disperse, he reaches down to the, to the woman, picks her up, brushes her off, picks her up by the face. And, and he just says, listen, woman, you can be healed. You can have peace. And he tells her, go and sin no more. Like he, he gives her a new way to live. He's like, listen, I, I, he acknowledges that what she's done is not good. And so in a moment where she feels the most shame maybe that she's ever felt in her life, Jesus shows her grace. He shows her love. This is how Jesus always deals with the sexually broken. Is he shows grace to them, but he offers them a different way to live. And just the same, we just see throughout scripture, this is who God is. We see God with King David, King David who is an adulterer, Right? in a murderer. And we see God showing grace to King David. And and later on, David says something to the effect of, I just, I I want more than anything in the world to just dwell in the house of the Lord for the rest of my days. And he says that because he's received so much grace from God. And God calls David a man after his own heart. An adulterer is a man after God's own heart. That's grace, isn't it? And so I don't know where you're at today or what you've come through and I'm sure your mind has been jogging and as I've been teaching through this, this is my third time talking through this, I just think back about where I've come from and I still remember the first time that I encountered pornography when I was 11. I remember my parents were away. I was staying at a temporary living facility on an Air Force base and uh, they left for the evening. I was at in this room and it's just, you know, me and HBO, right? And so I'm flipping around and I see this channel and they had tried to block it back in the day. They didn't actually have something on the screen that said like channel not available. They just put squiggly stuff on the screen and left the audio totally clear as day. And I still remember as clear as, as any memory in my life, what it looked like and what I saw. And then I remember my parents showing back up and I shut off the TV and I just went to bed and I'm laying in bed at 11 years old, just crying my eyes out. And I didn't know how to unpack how I felt and I didn't know why something was wrong. And I was like, you know, I kind of wanted more, but I felt ashamed. I didn't know what to do with those feelings. And those, that that, that moment, that moment affected me for years and years after that. And you can still tell, like I'm telling the story, like, I mean, I'm, I'm still there. And so once again, these wounds go deep, don't they? And so whether it was a decision that you made or maybe it was a decision somebody else made against you, I know we have people who have been abused, people who have had decisions made around them that have have created wounds in their life and and, and they're carrying so much unforgiveness and so much baggage with that. It's affecting their their relationships today and their marriage today. I know the wounds are deep. So just like David, I think, you know, he he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I think for David, that was where he got peace, was with God and with his people. That for him, it was just, the, the way to get through this was just to worship God and to realize that he's bigger than our sin. 
And, and that's what I want for you to know today. You have not out the cross today. You have not out the grace of Jesus. That it's for everybody and anybody. And I just, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. You just need to receive that new today. Uh, maybe you've got a story that just needs to be shared. You are um, in a bad place and you've got some secrets right now. And uh, you don't know how to get out of it. And maybe this is the beginning of you saying, I, I, need, I need help. Um, I need to reach out. Maybe you need to share something with your spouse or with a friend. And you just need to get it, the, 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 the sin out from the darkness into the light so you can be healed. Because that's what we know. Is that stuff that stays in the darkness can't be healed. So I, I want for us as a church, if we do anything in this series, just that we could take all of this stuff and through all of our fear and all the discomfort and all the giggles with church, that we could be honest about this stuff. Uh, maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's with a friend. Make the phone call. Do what you need to do to, to get healthy. Because I, I truly believe that even if you're here and you're like, Brian, it's never worked before, that today can be the day that you start a new life. And, and maybe if you're like, well, Brian... I have not saved myself from marriage. I've got people that I've been with. And here's what I want you to know is that if you're single and you're going to be married someday, that you may not be able to say that, hey, I saved myself for you. But you may be able to say, hey, in October of 2017, I made a decision that I was going to wait for you. And that's going to mean something to someone. And so you can still make these decisions. All is not lost. There are choices to make today, but they can only come from the love that's already been poured out on you by Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, know that you are bare before God and he knows everything and he still loves you. Let me pray. God, I just know there's so many stories in this room and Father, we need to feel your grace today. And we need to believe um, beyond words that your grace is greater than our sin. God, there's people here today who are hopeless. Um, They have tried to get better and they can't. Um, They've sought out help and it hasn't worked before. They've lost hope for healing. But God, in you there is always hope for healing. So God, could, could today be a, a, a moment in our minds, a moment in history where we come to you and receive your grace new and begin down the road of restoration? God, you don't want to destroy us. We confess that we deserve to be destroyed. We have done and said things that do not contribute to peace and joy and love in other people's lives and in our life. So God, we, we deserve everything. Um, And yet, God, you want to restore us. You want to connect with us, God. And so for some people today, I know it's going to be hard to worship. It's going to be hard to sing, but God, in the darkest moments and right from our sinfulness, God, that's where we need to sing the most. That's the place that we need to worship from. So we worship you from that place today, from our place of brokenness and neediness, God. And as we worship you, God, we're going to acknowledge that you are greater than our mistakes. You are greater than what we've done and what's been done to us. And God, you offer us so much better than what the world offers us. God, you want to give us peace, never-ending, peace, eternal, joy that will never be taken away from us. God, thank you so much for that grace. We pray it in Jesus' name.